0: This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities for our workplaces and for our lives from the sunshine state or in Orlando, Florida this is safety wars for Wednesday, September 27, 2023 spent today to with spent today with Todd Conklin and Jay Allen and like sixty other people in the Todd Conklin's uh, conference here whatever we're calling it, on human and organizational performance. We found uh, no uh, kindred spirits all over the place here, and we also reaffirm what we've been doing here, discussing human and organizational performance. Uh, I had a client today go and call me up and say, Hey, uh, Jimmy, uh, I heard you're down there in Florida. Why don't you come back here and tell us exactly what Went on there with the, uh, uh, with the uh, human organizational performance. We're really interested in hearing about this whole thing. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're already paying, this is already paying off for me being here. And uh, there was a radio talk show host, I'm not going to mention the name, for many years. He's someone you've heard of, uh, often controversial. A lot of people try to repeat what he tried to do can't do it there's only one of him they're just like there's only one of you and one of me and he said if you want to be an effective speaker if you want to be an effective communicator if you want to be effective at what you do you have to try to talk to people about what they already know in their heart and try to articulate that and that exactly is what human organizational performance is at least to me is to actually go out there and articulate and it articulates what it is for you in your heart. We all know well, in the other world, all right, behavior based safety. Now, again, I'm not going to belabor the point here, say it's garbage, it's this and that. Uh, that's not true. There are some useful tools in that. But often what happens is it morphs into uh, something else. Once attorneys and uh, human resource people often get involved with it and then then misunderstanding certain companies and everything else so you need to really uh, study the whole thing and most companies are going to end up being partially hop partially behavior-based safety and that's just the way it is and that's okay you have to meet people where they are but if you're will, if you're willing to take a little bit of a chance. It really isn't a chance because it works. Give us a call, eight four five two six nine five seven seven two and you too can know about human and organizational performance. Uh we'll get more on that in a little bit. So this is uh our topic tonight. You're gonna say, Jim, why are we doing this topic tonight? In case you hadn't heard, you know again I've been in conferences and traveling all week. Uh, Donald Trump, former president Donald Trump, had some legal issues this week, all different types of stuff going on, and the call has been, hey, resigned on both sides, and I'm not going to give an opinion here. Uh, People who know me know my opinion. I don't normally share it on the air here with this, Uh, so we're going to approach my discussion here on this as part of Disaster Response Month, because a lot of people out there are very upset on both sides of this issue, regardless of where it is. And part of, uh, uh, well, we'll just call it a psychological disaster of some sort. I'm sure uh, the safety mystic uh, Jay Allen and Todd Conklin, both safety mystics, would probably have a different word for it, but it's causing a lot of uh, psychological emergency here for a lot of people. And uh, as everyone knows, uh, if you've been a long-time listener here, right, we're up to like 275 episodes. And, no, I, I was doing stuff on YouTube and everything before that. Uh, I had a former life here. I had a life in politics, a political animal. It all started back when I was around 8 or 9 years old, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little bit older. My parents listened to that powerhouse station out of New York City, WWOR, Radio 710, and then in like 82, uh, WABC Radio, I think it was 82 or 83, they turned from a uh, uh, music radio format to a talk radio format. And a little bit of trivia here, what happened was, how did this all come out? Now, some people say, well, it was the end of what the government had was the the, uh, Fairness Doctrine That's what gave rise to all this conservative talk radio and everything else and talk radio in general. But it wasn't that. Uh, 1980, a little bit of trivia for you here. Uh, We had, uh, there used to be a singer, uh, an entertainer, uh, John Lennon, right, member of the Beatles. He had uh, passed away, I believe, at the end of 1980. Uh, He was assassinated, for want of a better word. whether it's assassination or murder, no matter what, he ended up dying. And you had a lot of the radio stations there, including WABC and some others. There were others. that So, well, we're going to open up the phone lines here. We're going to take calls about John Lennon. And I'm sure it happened in other cities as well. And what, what did they find out? People were willing to call a radio station, all right, which they already knew you had rambling with gambling uh, on from the 1920s in that area. And they started to say, and then they realized, holy wow, we're making some money. We got higher viewership. And then shortly thereafter is when all these stations made the change on the AM dial from music, radio. Right, It's kind of hard listening to, when you think about it, uh, listening to music on AM radio. The fidelity really isn't there. But uh, it's a little bit of a nostalgia for me when I hear music on AM radio. Uh, and uh, all this talk radio came on. You didn't don't need good fidelity for that. And it was cheap and everything else. But one thing that these programs that you hear, whether they're on um, NPR, whether they're Pacifica Radio is another big one, Any of your local stations, even uh, conservative, liberal, doesn't matter. And none of this stuff. Do they ever talk about how do you get someone on the ballot? And why is this relevant this week? There are calls for, we're going to get this guy in. We're going to get this guy in. Democrats, we're here, no, RFK, is, no, he's going to go libertarian. He, no, He's looking for this, and we got to replace him with Gavin Newsom. we got to replace him, Biden with this person, that person, Kamala Harris, the vice president. And on the Republican side, well, no, they're going to have a debate at 9 p.m. tonight out uh, in Simi Valley at the Reagan Library. Wonderful place to go. If you want to go to a nice museum, go to Simi. Regardless whether you think of Ronald Reagan... Go there. It's actually pretty nice there. especially. And if you're going to go, go at sunset on a clear day. It's a beautiful sunset. And uh, in about an hour away, hour and a half away, you have Yorba Linda where you have the Nixon Library. So often what people will do is they'll go to the Nixon Library in the morning. Nice French garden out there and everything else. And when I visited there, we had uh, the former owner of that house, her grandmother... Uh, the woman, the woman's granddaughter uh, happened to be there and her grandmother sold the house to the Nixon family to move into and you had it there at the, on the grounds on the Nixon Library, nice French garden area. If you're into French gardens, you can look that up, Google it and, you know, it's nice but anyway, I digress. You hear oh, well, we gotta get like, rid of Trump and replace him with this and this primary thing, and there's like a dozen friggin' uh, uh, candidates you get all this stuff out there and nobody ever explains. And maybe if you understood the process of selecting a political candidate for a ballot, whether it's on a, pre- we're gonna talk primary presidential, but it also applies to local levels, right? For whatever your local level uh, offices, if you're able to go, uh, how, to, how does the process work? Uh, because I find that if you understand some of the process and some of the challenges, The psychological uh, stress ends out there the and the disaster for lack of a better word ends so let's go and talk about what no how do you get on the ballot how do you do this yeah uh, right all part of disaster response month because we have a little bit of a psychological emergency going on here and yes I am so I have a horrible internet connection here so audio is going to be released this evening the uh, video will be released once I get to a good internet connection somewhere which is probably going to be uh, Sunday sometime when well, you'll get nice videos hopefully they'll be edited uh, here okay so let's talk about this you have how many counties or county equivalents do you have in the United States do you think? There is an answer to it. 3,143. All right. So potentially you're going to have, whether it's Democrat or Republican, 3,143 county coordinators. Usually not paid. Some counties may have joint conventions, things of that nature. But essentially you're running for president, you need 3,100 43 county coordinators. And along with that, you're commonly going to need the same amount for assistant county coordinators. All right. Very important. You're going to need 50 state coordinators. And this is where the uh, party politics gets uh, into it. So, for example, the Democrats have, uh, I believe, 57. I might be wrong on that, but something like 57 uh Coordinators like that, or uh, state not state coordinators, but you have Puerto Rico, you have American Samoa, you have Guam, you have uh, the Marshall Islands, you have uh, the Virgin Islands. uh, All those right thrown in there. That's up to 55. There's probably a couple more. I think the Democrats have Democrats abroad brings it up to 56, and a couple of others. So you need that money more, right on that because those are the people. And though the delegates that are elected in those states and in in those territories during their primaries, caucuses, whatever system they use, actually vote at the convention. Yes, the convention you see on TV, right? the Democratic and Republican Convention. Republicans are under a similar system with that where you have delegates from these other areas, little territories, things of that nature that actually go in there and actually go and talk about... Uh, you know how they're going to choose their candidate and then they have like a roll call at the convention and the roll call is like you know they just go through everybody votes who the primary person uh, who won the primary their delegates vote sort of like the electoral college system which we'll talk about and you have uh, in there with uh, uh, you know you have those people in there so doing their thing now What ends up happening here is this, Uh, they they vote on who is that. Now how do they vote? In the pure original form, they voted however the hell they wanted to vote. In the current thing, sometimes they go with the popular vote on who uh, won the uh, primary election in that state when they had the primary election right we'll talk about that in a minute or it might be something like that and that's how we're uh, along those lines and they vote for whoever they want they have different schemes on who they're authorized to vote for things of that nature Uh, not the way it used to be so there we go we have three hundred three so now what else you have you have assistant state coordinators Have state coordinators assistant state coordinators accountants believe me you need an army of accountants there attorneys in every state. At least one attorney in every state. Media people. You're going to need local media. You're going to need national media. This can be any number out there, but I'm just going to say around 50 because I'm figuring one for every state. And if you want to include the territories or anything like that, you can throw in some extra people in there. Thousands of volunteers. You need volunteer coordinators, which is what I was on the uh, the, mo- the last campaign on the state level that I was involved with. Was well, I was the cam- uh, the volunteer coordinator for that uh, campaign. So you have volunteers. You have to have volunteer coordinators, and you may have to have one volunteer coordinator in every region of a state or in every county. Right, big state like New York with all these counties. Guess you know, so what? You're going to need a lot of people in there. Now, what happens is, and it was Phil Schaffley, another controversial figure. I'll quote here, and this is almost an exact quote uh, when I spoke to her, that the most powerful person in the United States, politically, at least is her opinion, was the town committee person for either a Republican or Democrat. So how a local jurisdiction is set up is that you have uh, uh, local people, right? That, hey, that's your Democratic committee person. That's your Republican committee person. That's even Libertarian in some places, other parties, right? And they have what is called a count. This is how it works in New Jersey, at least. They have what is called a county convention. And this is where you need the county com- uh, coordinators for the presidential campaign. So they show up, they pick a, pick a location, and depending on when the primary is, that's when they're going to have the convention. Primary. Remember, what goes into the day of voting? You have to have ballots. You have to have things of that nature that go into that. And they go to the county convention and either... Coordinator, the representative, no, the coordinator, or other designated representative of the uh, candidate has to give a speech, a presentation, network, hang out, whatever, make their case. And they collect these delegates in there, right? And these delegates, okay, well, we're going to vote for candidate A, candidate B, candidate C, candidate D. And they all get together here, and they say, well, and then you have to get the endorsement of the party, the local party. Is it a requirement? No, but it's a very good idea because that usually dictates where you are on the ballot, depending on how your ballot is set up, column A, column B, column C, column D, or row A, row B, row, right? And there's different ways that are set up. So all of these go into this. This is why it's important to get to that county uh, convention. The local candidates, it's the same way. You go in there and you get, quote unquote, the party line for that. So you, uh, for both, you get the party line. So if you're running for uh, county, uh, for uh, city councilman, councilwoman, uh, well, sheriff, any of these local, uh, every jurisdiction has their, their thing, right? You get on the line for that, mayor, supervisor, what have you, and that all goes through everything that you need to uh, do on there to get on there. So you can see that the primaries, right? They're coming up, and they start in February, I believe, and then you have all these Super Tuesday, and you have all this stuff, and it always ends with New Jersey and Hawaii sometime in June with this for the final things and uh no that's a point of contention with me because why is new jersey all the way out there it used to be very frustrating because then new jersey in effect never got uh a choice in who the presidential uh uh, in the presidential primary election because things were so late that you knew everybody dropped out (laughs) and you're left oh yeah with one person standing there and Democrats the same that one person they had no choice. The party chose everything everywhere else in the country. Now, how do you get on that ballot? This is perhaps the most important question out of everything. Everything we discussed, maybe I should have gotten gone first. Most important. You get on the ballot by nomination, by petition. Also, it could be by writing on that. All right. So, what does that mean? Every, now, and this is where it gets tricky. Every state has a every state has a different requirement. So, for example, we'll start with New Jersey that I'm uh, familiar with, that I've been through. A reg, let's say you're Republican or Democrat. Or even independent here you have to have 1,000 signatures from people who are eligible to vote under the party so if you're a Democrat you gotta you have to sign a Democratic candidate nomination petition and it has to be verified so you end up it ends up being like a thousand all right signatures you need you do not get a thousand signatures you have to get 1,300, 1,400, 1,500 signatures or more. By the minimum, thirteen or 1,400 in case, and then you file it. And those are only, so you're a Democrat running for the Democratic nomination. You have to have that in there with all Democrats. Republicans, the same thing. Independent uh, uh, people or unaffiliated, undeclared uh, candidates. I believe that's a legal term, undeclared, unless they changed it. Those candidates Have to go, have to have their nomination, and it all has to be by a certain time, certain date. New Jersey, sometime in March, but generally speaking, 45 to 60 days out from an election, all the nominate, all the petitions have to be in. And why do you need to have more than what you think you need? Then, you know, the minimum people get challenge them. People get all excited. They start, ah, yeah, I'll sign anything. Or I'll do this, or I'll do that. And I go there, and then guess what happens? They get rejected if things get challenged. And that happens all the time. I've seen that happen a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I handed in uh, 1,050 uh, signatures. Well, guess what? Uh, 51 of them are no good, so you didn't, you're not on the ballot. Now... Over the years, I saw some very well-known candidates on both the Republican and Democratic side that were not able to get the petition signatures. That means they did not make it on the ballot. So what's the advantage of being... And then they try to do a write-in campaign, which 99.9% of the time goes nowhere on anything. So, okay, let me uh, think here. You have to go, uh, right, so candidates will go out there. There's a reason why a lot of candidates want to run for president. It's called honorarium because now it goes, it's vanity. It goes on your resume that you were a former presidential candidate. Now you get on to the news. Now you get on as a commentator and you get honorarium and you make money and everything's great and then you never leave that area there i mean there are people out there right now that ran for president 25 years ago they're still oh former presidential candidate well they might have they lost the primary or they didn't make the ballot even because they didn't do anything with getting them on there and that's where this comes where this gets into then you need accountants because uh, you're involved in a political campaign, they're going to be auditing you from now until doomsday. Uh, you need media people to do things. You need attorneys to sign paperwork, to represent you, to uh, review the media stuff to make sure you're not doing anything illegal. Uh, track in-kind donations uh, so you could avoid or you have to declare an in-kind uh, uh, thing and it's all, every state is different. So... Getting on the ballot is the most important. Now, if there is no way for your candidate to get on the ballot, they're disorganized, they don't have enough money, they got this, they have a million and one excuses not to get on the ballot. Or if they haven't thought of it, especially on the local level, uh, I have a friend uh, back home who uh, said, Hey, Jim, you know about politics, right? I said, "Yeah, Yeah, I know a little bit. And he says, Well, my... Family member is running for such and such an office. Can you talk to him a little bit on what's involved here? And I go through the whole thing, and what's the first thing I say? Ballot access. How are you going to get on the ballot? I said, You go to your local party, whether it's Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. Right? In New York, it's very different. We have all like, I don't know, 300 political parties, whatever, not 300, but it seems like it. Those parties. Uh, are uh, you, know, you have to get on the ballot, and in some states, very difficult for a third party to get on the ballot. Illinois being one, and there's a reason for that. Uh, and what ends up happening is they uh, no the party says, "Oh, don't worry about it. We'll get you on the ballot. Don't ever." And if you hear that. Don't trust the political party. Don't trust your people. Because your number one priority is to get on that ballot. It's before fundraising, it's before uh, media appearances, it's before talking, uh, setting up a a, a website, a podcast, what have you. Your number one priority has got to be getting on that ballot. If you get involved in a political campaign, not as the candidate, but as a, a volunteer. First question Where's the ballot for me to sign? Where's that petition for me to sign to get on the ballot, to get this person on the ballot? If they look at you dumbfounded, "Uh, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. They look at you dumbfounded, guess what? You pick up your stuff and say, Have a nice day, and you walk out. You don't want to be part of an organization, they don't know what they're doing. Well, there are exceptions, because uh, some people get so PO'd on local political issues that they, uh, that they, you know, they'll muddle through and make mistakes, and oftentimes they'll win. So, this is what uh, my advice for you is, and I'm getting pinged here and everything else. Gotta put this stuff away. Uh, that's what, what, what it is. Now, let's say that uh, you get on the ballot and everything else why is it that hard for third parties to get on the ballot A little bit of a history lesson for you one of our guests on this program Murray Saverin he was one of the reasons why when he ran for governor of the state of New Jersey they had to let him in the debates in the the late 90's I think it was 97 because they uh... he met all the legal requirements be brought the debates. After he was in the debates, they changed their uh, tune. Both parties got together and they changed the laws a little bit, made it a little bit harder. You had, but before him, you had 1992, you had Ross Perot. Ross Perot was a lifelong Republican. And he was friends with the Bush family by all accounts they got along. I don't know how, how true that is, If they were just congenial towards each other. He was a donor, I don't know exactly, but no, I get conflicting stories, especially from the insiders. And they ended up, right? How do they elect presidents in this country? I I explained to you how they become the nominee, right? For both parties, how do they uh, elect presidents? It's called an electoral college system. In its purest form, going way back uh, to the Revolutionary War days and thereafter, what they did was the Electoral College voted however they want. They were supposed to go by popular vote, but let's say that there was a problem with the candidate. Now, my understanding is they they could vote for whoever they want on that, any way that they want. Over the years, the laws have changed with that. Pros and cons to bad thing. I prefer the original, uh, the original setup versus what we have now, where they have some states have apportioned, some states have winner take all, some states have hey you can do whatever you want. Uh, pros and cons to everything. I prefer the original system on that, uh, especially with some of the groovin' that's going on in the last seven years, eight years now. Hell, let's face it, since I've been involved, all the stuff that's going on. And what happened was Ross Perot went and he uh, took a lot of votes and siphoned a lot of votes away from mostly the Republican Party, George Herbert W. Bush. And uh, he was unable to get secure a majority or a plurality because there are three major candidates. He had Bill Clinton. Uh, George H.W. Bush, and you had Perot, and he was, and this is how, uh, and and then they formed the American, the Reform Party, or the American Reform Party, and this is how you got President Bill Clinton, is what it is. You can check your history on that. A couple years later, you had not only Murray Saban, you also had Governor, and then in 96, the same thing happened. You had Governor Jesse Ventura, who was a Reform Party nominee, uh, win the governorship of Minnesota. Same thing. So, uh, same thing, spoiler, whatever you want to call it. Uh, You know, uh, he he got a plurality of the votes, not a majority. And what ended up happening, this sounds a little bit conspiratorial, and maybe it is a little bit conspiratorial. Uh, No, I I get that uh, here. Again, I am a safety shot jock. So, I get that. What ended up happening was, he, uh, and this is, again, a bridge to history here. I don't have hours. They changed the laws. They said, we can't have these third parties in here anymore. So, they made it a lot more difficult to get on the ballot for third parties. They raised requirements a lot of states. New Jersey, I don't think anything really changed much. But in other states it did, the states with all the Electoral College votes. And how does a state get an Electoral College vote? How many? It's the number of congressional representatives in the House of Representatives plus the number of senators uh, in there, and which is two, and that's add them together, that's how many votes you get in the Electoral College. Now the question is, how do you become a member of the Electoral College? Every state has their different ways of doing that. How to become a member of the Electoral College? Uh, when I ran, uh, when I was in New Jersey, it was often for uh, minor candidates that I had worked with. They said, "Jimmy, will you be a elector?" And I always said, every time, absolutely. Every time I was asked, the answer was yes. But usually, who becomes the elector are prominent members of the party in the state. So you may see some uh, uh, former senators, former representatives, party heads, if the, if the law allows for it, uh, you know, big donors, what have you, go in there. It could be really anybody. Uh, and I was, and this is one of the issues with uh, uh, the Georgia was, well, who were well, no, these electors, I think it was Georgia and one other state, Wisconsin, uh, electoral show, electors showed up, well. One candidate uh, won, so therefore his electors showed up at the vote at the Electoral College, and there's a big litigation going on as of today with that. And the candidate that wins the vote for that state, his or her electors go to vote on electoral, uh, when they do the Electoral College, which, if memory serves me right, is sometime in the middle of December. Uh, in, uh, of the election year. So the election is in November. In December, like the second week, they go in and they cast their vote on the Electoral College vote. Then that goes into the uh, uh, both chambers of the House of Representatives and the Senate, and they go and they start counting things uh, in there. Uh, now, that's where the uh, vice president, who is also the president of the Senate, the current one, not the incoming one, but the current one, counts out all the ballots and then they decide uh, who cuts 270 votes wins the presidential election. Now, the question is this. If you don't hit the 270 vote count in the Electoral College, what happens? Well, then then it becomes a little bit of a mess in there. And this happens more often at the... uh, It's never happened to my knowledge in the... uh, Presidential race, but in uh, uh, local conventions and everything, they need a certain amount of votes. Or for the Democratic or Republican uh, convention, they need a couple of uh, a certain number of votes uh, the first time around. And if no one makes it, then they have a second time uh, round of voting, and that's when you can nominate anybody from the floor. And that's where a couple of presidents got unmet and uh, uh, a couple of candidates got nominated. I don't think know if they actually won, but they got nominated from the floor. It was like your quote unquote, floor fight for electors, that's or for uh, delegates, that sort of thing. Okay, so that's how it, the process basically works. So if no one gets that to that two seventy magical number, then it goes there's a process where the states vote, and uh, individually in the House and in the Senate. And it goes there. No, heard, I think both of them. You have to look it up in the Constitution. But this is all that goes through there. They have a mechanism in there. Uh, pray, pray that we don't ever get to that point. Because I tell you what, January sixth would be a uh, that would be nothing compared to what I what happens. I'm, for, uh, I'm no, I I'm not advocating violence. I just know people in the way that they are. Uh, with that. And like I said, I'm um, not going into politics here per se. I'm just telling you uh, my experience here, and now you could uh, understand this. Uh, now, getting back to the original premise here, people are being jerked around really good. In my opinion, jerked around really good by the media, getting upset, doing this, doing that, blah, 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 blah all with. Uh, with, with everything with this. Oh, well, can't uh, Trump should drop out. Okay, my question is this. He's going to take his place, and can they get on the ballot? That's my question. Do they have this organization where you need a minimum, I'll round it up, uh, 3,400 people minimum to run a campaign? Yes or no? That's a yes or no question. If they don't have the answer is no or not, hey, I can reasonably get to somewhere around that number, Think twice before uh, before spending time on that candidate. Now, there is another reason why you would run for political office. Uh, one, some of them not good reasons, not ethical, not moral. Some of them, maybe, maybe they will be moral. I think it was William Jennings Bryan who was a per- one of these perennial candidates at the turn of the 19, no, 19, early 1900s, late 1800s. I might be misattributing this, but he said, well, people said, why do you keep running? You keep losing in the primary. He says, because my ideas are adopted. They kind of win over my people to vote for them. And to win over my people to vote for them, they have to adopt some of my policies, Right. And that's where a lot of progressive policies got uh, implemented in the United States was because of that. Williams, Jennings, Ryan. Again, debate that will go on from time immemorial on progressive politics. On the Republican side, same kind of thing happened. You had a lot of candidates there. Now the main candidate has got to try to get those people to vote in the general election on his uh, side. And what happens is now those, how are you going to do that? Well, now you have to, hey, placate these other uh, uh, cohorts, these other focus groups, these other uh, identity politics type things, right, with that. And what ends up happening and things become really a mess and the people in the middle are caught, or caught in the middle with this. Now... Like I said, so let's sum this up. Let's just sum this up, the way we're going to uh, deal with this. You have to figure out here, all right, you have to figure out who your candidate is. I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat or what have you. Do they have the resources? And we're not talking money, necessarily. This costs money. Some of these states are like $30,000, from what I recall, from what I'm told here to get on the ballot do they have the resources to organize this something like this and if the answer is no think twice well what's the other reason why I didn't go into this you would be in there to get your ideas out there I wanted to win when I ran I ran as an independent but my ideas that I gave them my four platform ideas were very mainstream but I was able to go out there and say look these are one of this. This is why I believe what it is: educate the voters, and then go and along the way. Now let's start with part two of this discussion here. We have, for all intents and purposes, except for Virginia, uh, New Jersey, and Kentucky, I believe is the other one. Everyone has even number elections. So in other words, no two, four, six, eight, or zero. Right? Zero, two, four, six, eight. Uh, years. New Jersey has that for the federal elections, and some local candidates are thrown in there, depending on your jurisdiction. But also, uh, when the off-year elections, that's when we uh, elect in New Jersey and Virginia and Kentucky, I believe is the third one, these statewide candidates, senator, uh, obviously not senator, no, state, uh, state senator, state representative, However, unless you're in Minnesota with a unicameral system, that's for the all right? When well, you have lower what Minnesota doesn't do on number of years. but uh, and what, what is it? It's a four- year cycle you work on. whether you're dealing with a federal election, state election, same deal. you're educating on state issues. So normally, the way this is, should be running, according to my experience here at least, you have an election, right, in 2020. Right, we had an election. We know how that turned out. In 2021, the party goes and educates the voter. How do they do that? Back in the day, it used to be door-to-door. Hey, how are you doing? COVID's pretty much killed that. But you, do, you educate the voter. And you do that through the local committee people. Again, we went back with Phyllis uh thing where the most powerful person is the committee person because they select the candidates. They can select ballot position uh, often, and, uh, often, and things of that nature. So that's number one. That you go back and the committee people, Republican or Democrat or any other party out there, they go and they educate the voters. So it no longer becomes who the heck are you? It's Frank from up the street talk to me about a candidate. Sally from over on the other side of town talk to me about a candidate and issues. And you use the local political party to go and educate the voter. The Democrats do this phenomenally well. Believe they do it phenomenally well. Republicans in the Northeast, not so much. They rely on other people to educate their voters. That's one reason why we have this political situation we have, uh, and you know one-party rule. Okay, I made a political statement, but that's uh, okay. Northeast Republicans, South Democrats, make that mistake. Right, they're not educating the voters in Republican-heavy areas. They go through, and you so year one, educate the voters. Year two, you have midterm elections. Educate the voters, run candidates, find your key people, your volunteers, coordinators, everybody else involved. Right? And that's when all the congressional seats are up, the House of Representatives, the Senate, things of that nature. And, you know, on the local level, it's whatever you're doing. Then, uh, uh, then, Year three, you go in there and it's the same deal all over again, right? Same dip, same thing. We're going to educate the voters. This way, by the time year four comes around, you should have all your stuff together to run a campaign. And that's how this is done, folks. With all of this stuff. Why is it part of the safety war? The media It's overwhelming. We got people going nuts out there. We have civil unrest. We have people uh, with confirmation bias, only listening to one group, one source. Nobody doing their own research. Going out there not talking to their neighbors. And, of course, following that thing that drives me up a wall. Jim, do not, you know, this is what I've always been told. Jim, do not talk about politics, religion, or uh, morality or ethics, they be nice, like conversation. Uh, my, my, my response is, You're, you have real boring conversations. And I said, that's how this left-right paradigm and the media matrix that's out there, to borrow a word from another radio talk show host, Richard Bay. I don't even think he does radio anymore. They're, right, the media matrix here, where they're going to go out there and control everything. It's people like me and you. It's like human and organizational performance and managing safety issues. you got to talk to the people. See what the people want to do. if And convince them and be persuasive to come over to your side and to vote for you or to vote for your side. Or at least educate people. And that is how we're going to move this country and move this uh, whatever we got here. And all start to get along again again together so we start understanding each other we start communicating with each other we start being nice to each other we start uh having consideration and respect and let's face it some of the political movements that would be on the opposite side of the aisle than i am i said something mind-blowing to somebody yesterday i said you know they have some very good points they're not totally wrong on this. They're right on X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to tell you, but uh, you know they're they're right on X, Y, and Z. And you know I can see where our side probably wrong on X, on A, B, and C. And now you get to working together, and now guess what? You short circuit the whole system. And that's what I want to be part of. That's what I think you should be part of. Talking with your neighbor, getting along with your neighbor. Understanding, empathy—all that goes into it. That's the uh, show for tonight, and we ran a little bit short here. We're at roughly uh, 45 minutes. I have to—we're right before airtime. I have to edit this uh, and add some stuff in because I'm not at home with my soundboard. For safety' wars, this is Jim Polesel.